Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll continue our study that we began this morning in that chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 16. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask for the help of your Spirit. As we acknowledged earlier in the service, Lord, we need the Spirit of God to understand spiritual things. Help me in the preaching, help us all in the hearing that you would be glorified, that your people would be built up, and that you would save the unconverted. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. We began looking this morning at the section of Ephesians 2 that I just read, verses 11 to 16, which speak of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, as well as the unity that Christ brings to people from these two ethnic groups. As I said this morning, I trust and pray that our study will be helpful by way of application in the cultural moment we are currently experiencing in the Western world, and that this study will be edifying to our souls. So we covered verses 11 to 13 this morning, and by God's grace, we, tend, we intend to cover the end of verse 13 all the way through verse 16 this evening. This morning we saw that Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near to Christ himself, to the commonwealth of Israel, to the fulfillment of the covenants of promise. And therefore the Gentiles now have hope. As, and we to have God. It is this idea of the Gentile being brought near to the commonwealth of Israel, which Paul expands on in verses 13 to 16 of Ephesians chapter 2. And so that is our great theme tonight. First, let us note that it's obvious from this passage that Jesus has reconciled both Jews and Gentiles to God by his substitutionary death on the cross. 
Look at verse 16. Jesus did what he did so that he might reconcile us both, that is, both Jews and Gentiles, to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not only of Israel, but to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sins of any man, Jew or Gentile, may be washed away by the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners, whether they be Jewish sinners or Gentile sinners, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Jesus lived perfectly, sinlessly, in the place of sinful individuals, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. Jesus lived perfectly, sinlessly, obediently, in the place of sinful individuals who themselves had broken God's law. Whoever will take Jesus' righteousness as his own may have it. You may clothe yourself in the perfect righteousness of Jesus tonight, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, wherever you're from, whatever you look like, you may clothe yourself in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus died in the place of sinners. Again, Jewish sinners or Gentile sinners, it doesn't matter. Jesus died in the place of sinners who deserve to bear God's wrath themselves for their own sin and whoever will lay hold of Jesus wrath-bearing death as sufficient propitiation for their own sins will find that when they come to God there is nothing left but benevolence toward them for Jesus has drained down to the last drop every bit of wrath reserved for all those for whom he died and so when you take hold of Jesus' death and you say, that is the propitiation for my sins, there is no wrath remaining but only benevolence from God for you. Any, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, Jew or Gentile, may believe this gospel and be saved. And this result of Christ's work is what we often focus on with respect to the death of Christ. And rightly so. It's given biblical priority and primacy in Scripture itself. Jesus has reconciled Jews and Gentiles to God by his substitutionary death on the cross. But the bulk of our message tonight will be focused on another result of Christ's work. Namely, that Jesus has reconciled Jews and Gentiles to one another. Notice first that Jews and Gentiles together are one body in verse 16. This is a point that Paul 
wants to drive home in this section of scripture. Jesus has joined Jews and Gentiles together. Obviously, based on this text, that's another aspect then of Christ's work. Yet this aspect of reconciling Jews to Gentiles and Gentiles to Jews is often underemphasized or at times even ignored in our modern Western context. Yet for the ethnic Jew, for the practicing religious Jew, this is a huge point. For the early Gentile Christians, this was a huge point. For Gentiles living in Israel today or anywhere else in the world where there is a high concentration of ethnic and religious Jews, this would be a huge point. Who is a true Jew? As we saw this morning from Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. As Romans 2.29 also says, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Or Philippians 3.3, 3, where Paul writes to Gentiles in Philippi, we, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Or Galatians 3.7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. God in Christ has made believing Gentiles Jews then, in some sense. He has brought us Gentiles in to the commonwealth of Israel. As we saw this morning, the implication is at one time, Gentiles were separated from the commonwealth of Israel, but now they have been brought near. Verse 19 is even more explicit. It calls us Gentile Christians citizens. Israel's God is now our God. Israel's promises are our promises. Israel's hope is our hope. Israel's inheritance is our inheritance. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles are one body in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16. There are not two separate bodies, Jewish and Gentile. There is one body. And this passage also tells us, if that wasn't clear enough, Paul puts it a different way. This passage also tells us that Jews and Gentiles are one man. Look at verse 14. He himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who has made us both, that is Jews and Gentiles, one. One what? That this refers to one man is clear from verse 15. If we keep on reading, Paul says explicitly that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. 
So there were two types of men, Jews and Gentiles, and God has now made one new man in place of the two. What does this mean? Most ultimately, there are really only two types of people in this world. Those in Adam and those in Christ, even in the Old Testament. You're either represented covenantally by Adam, which means that Adam's merit or demerit is yours. And of course, it's not merit, it's demerit. And so you're guilty and you're corrupt represented covenantally by Adam who sinned and you're on your way to hell. Or you're represented covenantally by Jesus. And so his merit is yours. And so you're pardoned and you're being cleansed from your sin and you're on your way to heaven. You're either in Adam represented by Adam or you're in Christ represented by Christ. Most ultimately, there are really only these two types of people in the world. And it's been that way ever since the beginning. Yet in the Old Testament, temporarily, God created one further distinction. God dealt differently with the Jews than with the Gentiles. God dealt with Jews in Adam differently than he dealt with Gentiles in Adam. As we saw this morning, even the Jews in Adam had nearness to Christ in some sense. They had the presence of Christ with them by the angel of the Lord and in the person of the Son as the triune God was with Israel in a special way. They had the types and shadows of Christ. They had familiarity with the covenants of promise which foretold and spoke of Christ. And they had hope because they had the gospel preached to them that they might believe in the coming Christ and the promises of the grace of God and so be reconciled to God by grace through faith. And in the tabernacle there with them and their high priest who went in, they had access to God. So in that sense, there was an additional distinction at work in the Old Testament. Not only the distinction between those in Adam and those in Christ, but also between Jews and Gentiles. Now, in Christ, God has eliminated the distinction in the way that he relates to the Jews and the Gentiles. How? Our passage says that it was by breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Let's examine that piece by piece. The distinction between Jew and Gentile was a legitimate, divinely ordained distinction between two types of people. Look, for example, at Exodus chapter 12, 43 to 49, where God says, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh 
outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So you can see that God makes a distinction. God makes a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. No Gentile is welcome to partake of the covenant meal. First, he must become a Jew in some sense. The Gentile must identify himself as a Jew by circumcision, and only then may he eat. Gentiles are not welcome at the Passover meal. This is a legitimate distinction introduced by God between Jew and Gentile. The result of it, however, was illegitimate hostility between Jew and Gentile. Do I even need to provide examples of this? Throughout the history of the Old Testament, there is enmity between Jews and Gentiles. And one need only to skim the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to see the Jewish religious leaders disdain for the Gentiles. Moreover, in the early church, there was tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. So essentially, based on this legitimate distinction between Jews and Gentiles, there was this illegitimate racial or ethnic tension. There was an illegitimate dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And our passage says that Jesus broke down that wall. And how did he do it? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. John Gerstner, who was a friend and mentor to the late R.C. Sproul, says the moral law could not be met here because it is a standard of conduct in which all men have in common. It is a bond of union, not a wall of separation. And Sinclair Ferguson says there were elements in Moses' ministry that were not uniquely Mosaic. They belonged to God's original design and will for our lives. They had a particular form in the Moses epoch, but they embodied the permanent purposes of God. This was obviously true of the Ten Commandments. This is why Paul can say that Christ has fulfilled the law and yet scatter references to the Ten Commandments throughout his letters. For the commandments express God's original purpose for man at creation. So when it says here that Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The reference here can't be the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles by getting rid of the Ten Commandments. That can't be. If it was the case that that's what was meant here, 
then the sense of the statement would be that Christ broke down the tension between Jews and Gentiles by making murder and adultery and idolatry okay. And mark my words, Christ did not break down the wall of hostility by making murder and adultery and idolatry okay. So what did Christ abolish? Here's Ferguson again. Christ's atoning sacrifice fulfilled the symbolism of everything that took place in the temple and thus brought about the abolition of the law of commandments in ordinances. That is the whole Mosaic system under which Old Testament believers live. In other words, by doing everything that the ordinances of the Old Testament symbolized, Christ did away with the ordinances themselves. They were no longer necessary. Let me state this another way for clarity. Christ did away with the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That is the ceremonial law. There were commandments not expressed in ordinances or ceremonies, like the Ten Commandments. What's the ceremony for do not murder? What's the ceremony for do not commit idolatry? There were commandments not expressed in ordinances, to which no ordinances or ceremonies were attached, like the Ten Commandments. Then there were laws which were expressed in ordinances like the purity laws, the sacrificial laws, and other laws like circumcision and such. Christ abolished those, the commandments which were expressed in ordinances. So there was nothing left to distinguish Jew from Gentile. After the work of Christ, upon the cross was completed and he rose and he ascended, all Jews and Gentiles remain under the moral law of God, not to kill or commit adultery or worship idols and so forth. But ever since Christ died and rose and ascended, no one needs to be circumcised. No one needs to offer up a lamb to God or present himself at the temple in Jerusalem. Because Jesus abolished the commandments expressed in ordinances. All of those aforementioned things were fulfilled by Christ in his death and resurrection. And so they were no longer necessary. The lambs prefigured and foreshadowed Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The temple prefigured Jesus himself in whom the meeting place where we meet with God. Circumcision represented regeneration. A matter of the heart by the spirit. So all of these things which were prefigured and foreshadowed, Christ has brought into fulfillment and reality for every one of his covenant people. And so there are no more commandments expressed in ordinances 
which were attached to the old covenant, the mosaic system. All of those are done away with. And so the distinction that God introduced between Jew and Gentile in Old Testament times has been erased by Christ's abolition of the commandments expressed in ordinances. So there is now no real distinction between ethnic Jew and ethnic Gentile. And believers in Christ, whether Jews or Gentiles, become one in Christ. One body, as we read, the church, and one man. Not a Jewish man or a Gentile man, but a redeemed man. A man in Christ. So Jesus has not only reconciled Jews and Gentiles to God, but Jesus has reconciled Jews and Gentiles to one another because there's no longer any legitimate basis for distinguishing between Jew or Gentile. There ought never really to be, have been hostility between the two groups. Obviously, the Gentiles should not have had animosity towards Israel, the people of God. And Israel, the people of God, actually were to serve and to bless the Gentiles, so there never should have been hostility in the first place. But being realistic, we can understand how that hostility came about among sinners when there was a real distinction between Jews and Gentiles. We tend to be hostile to other groups which are really and truly distinguished from us, distinct from us. We tend to be hostile toward the other. And so just being realistic, we can see how that rose up. But Jesus, having done away with the distinction between Jews and Gentiles, has rendered hostility absurd because there is no longer any difference between Jews and Gentiles. So let's consider now, in view of all what we said, two applications. First, there is a system of thought known as dispensationalism. Some of you may be familiar with dispensationalism and some not. But whatever the case, whether you're familiar with it or not, one application of this passage is the realization that we should all have that dispensationalism puts the big picture of the Bible together incorrectly. Lewis Ferry Chafer, who himself was a dispensationalist, wrote in 1951, and I quote, the dispensationalist believes that throughout the ages, God is pursuing two distinct purposes. One related to the earth, with earthly people and earthly objectives involved, which is Judaism, well, the other is related to heaven with heavenly people and heavenly objectives involved, which is Christianity, end quote. Well, as we have seen, the way that the Bible speaks about the Gentiles is that they have now 
Gentiles become heirs to the promises that God made to Israel in Christ. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring. According to Ephesians 2, which we've been looking at today, we have been brought near to the commonwealth of Israel. In fact, we Gentiles are citizens. We are the circumcision. As Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3, 3. We Gentiles now have equal access and privileges before God. As Israel, equal, pardon me, equal, pardon me again, access and privileges equal to the Jews. Which means inversely, that the Jews now have equal access and privileges to a distinct sense, the people of God. Therefore, there are not two distinct purposes or two distinct people, but one purpose of God and one people of God. And in fact, not only are Jew and Gentile no longer separated, which is one of the tenets of dispensationalism, for eventually the earth itself will be restored and the dwelling place of God will be with men. Revelation 21. So dispensationalism errs significantly in putting the big picture. And this sort of error will have multiple consequences ranging from confusion and misplaced values, even to ethics and biblical morality. It's not a heresy, but it is a significant error nonetheless, and it ought to be corrected. This is not my main point of application, but it would be a miss if I didn't at least touch on it. More practical for us, however, is this second application. Any kind, any kind of us and them mentality with respect to race is inappropriate. If even the Jew and Gentile distinction, which was instituted by God, has been erased, so that there is no longer any God-ordained distinction to be made between the races, then white versus black, or black versus white, or whatever else, any sort of us and them mentality with respect to race relations is an abominable denial, both of the image of God in one another and of the efficacy of Christ's work in bringing people together in him. If Jesus has eliminated even a legitimate, divinely, appointed distinction between peoples, namely Jew and Gentile. And if God has granted equal spiritual privileges 
and access to all, whether Jews or Gentiles, then we, we ought to regard all, all, as having equal spiritual privileges and access to God. Recognizing the fundamental equality of all men. And in this day of political correctness and my liability to be misinterpreted, let me add all men, women, boys and girls. The fundamental equality of all humans, irrespective of race. If God now reckons everyone equal, if there are no distinctions in God's eyes whatsoever between one people group and another, then we ought to regard everyone as equal and kill the hostility. <clears throat> the obviously racist former government governor of Georgia, Joseph E. Brown, said at the outset of the U.S. Civil War years and years and years ago, lest I bring any contemporary person's name into disrepute, this happened a long time ago. It's not a living person. But Joseph E. Brown said, if the policy of the Republicans, namely emancipation, is carried out, the slaveholder and non-slaveholder must ultimately share the same fate. All be degraded to a position of equality with free Negroes. Stand side by side with them at the polls and fraternize in all the social relations of life. Can you hear the horror in his voice, the scorn at the thought that he might have to fraternize with free Negroes, that he might have to stand side by side with them at the polls? Do you hear in his racist quote, a dividing wall of hostility? Do you hear a dividing wall of hostility? That's a humanly erected dividing wall. If Jesus has broken down even the divinely erected dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, then a humanly erected dividing wall must not be allowed to stand. Christians must indeed enter the horror, horror of Governor Brown. Christians must indeed fraternize with people of all races in all the social relations of life. Stand by one another, side by side at the polls. All men, all people should do it, but Christians must do it to let whiteness or blackness or brownness or whatever else of Christian solidarity when even Jewishness and Gentileness is no longer an obstacle to Christian solidarity. 
to let whiteness or blackness or brownness or whatever else stand in the way of Christian solidarity is an implicit denial both of the image of God in one another as well as of the efficacy of Christ's work in bringing people together in him. So let us all stand together in Christ. Let us rally everyone we can, Jew or Gentile, black or white or whatever other color, under the banner of Christ Jesus. According to Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus can make us all together one body and one new man. Let's sing now in response about our love for one another and our solidarity with one another. This one body formed of Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, and in fact, all tribes and tongues and people and nations, the church. Let's sing, I love, I love thy kingdom, Lord. All the people who make it up, I love thy kingdom, Lord.